John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And joining us is Mark Solres from Fox Sports uh, in to do the Arizona game against Seattle in uh, uh, Glendale, and so it's like a chance to see these two teams. This is the first matchup in the division between the Seahawks and any team in the NFC West. And so, Mark, first of all, how have you been through this uh, craziness? Oh, I've been great. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, healthy. Uh, we're blessed. Everybody's doing well. And uh, i got to be honest, man, just getting back on the road, it was like uh, the first day of school, you know, when you got all dressed up and headed to the airport for me. Um, just excited to be connected, excited to be calling NFL games, excited to be, you know, in the studio, even though, or in the uh, booth, even though it's, uh, you know, it's different. You don't have as much contact and you're doing everything over video conference and all that stuff. But just, uh, to be on the road, to be part of that kind of team atmosphere again, as you broadcast a game, uh, I, I gotta tell you, man, it was, it was so exciting for me to be back on the road doing those things. So really, really, um, you know, I, I try to live every day, um, you know, d- never miss an opportunity to live in gratitude. So just trying to be very grateful and intentional in my in my gratitude towards the NFL and getting to do these games and, and getting to be a part of it. So what, I mean, just from the overview, what do you see right now from the NFC West as far as how good of a division this is? I think it's probably, now I haven't, I haven't called games in every division, but it's as good as there is. Um they are like Seattle, obviously outstanding football team. Um, you know, and, and I think the thing that gets lost is we spend so much time focusing on Russell Wilson, and rightfully so because Russell Wilson is incredible, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just incredible. But I think with that said, um, you know, this is a really good football team. Like they are, they are outstanding. Both lines of scrimmage, they're outstanding. Linebacking core is as good as there is in football. Uh, Cody Barton was incredible last week or the week before against Minnesota. K.J. Wright is just a consummate professional. He's a great player. Obviously, it goes without saying Bobby Wagner. And listen, man, when you can pull a kid up off the practice squad, he was on the practice squad for a couple of weeks, and a, a kid like uh, oh, what's, what's Ryan Neal. Ryan, yeah, Ryan Neal, Neal, yeah. And he's just freaking making plays all over the place. I'm just like, they are – they are a really well-coached, really outstanding football team. Well, Troy Aikman had a great comment because, again, it's like I, you know, you, and you know because you host a, a morning uh, talk show in Denver and, of course, uh, getting calls on the Broncos and different things of that nature. But, you know, the one thing that I think has to be accepted, this is a year that's different than any others. And because of the lack of holding by – the, by the way, you ready for this one, Stink? You know, I because you know, I, I break down what crews call as far as penalties and holding penalties and that. Would you believe in the 14 games this past week, there was only 21 holding calls? And I'm not talking about holding on punts and on kickoffs and things like that. Only 21 holding calls and 17 were accepted. How how does that change the game on offense for the quarterbacks? Oh, it's been it's been huge. And I think the interesting thing is, you know. Certainly, and, and obviously, there's been a moratorium on calling holding. Um, and I think part of that is no practice, and you understand how difficult, you know, you understand how difficult the game is. You understand how, you know, how hard it is uh, for players, and um, especially without practice, and how difficult it is as an offensive line. 
Um, and so you, you just see they're, they're not calling it and which is a great thing, man. It's a, it's, you know, to me, it's an awesome thing because let the guys play, let the offense go. It's one of the reasons there's, you know, it's, it's one of the all time scoring, if not the all time scoring season on the football uh, in the NFL. And, um, and you know, I, I'm, I, I just think it's been, I think it's been really good, um, to eliminate some of that stuff. And like, my thing is, Hey, listen, if it affects the play directly at the point of attack, then yeah, call it. But if it's off the ball and that guy wasn't going to make a play anyhow, um, just let him play, like let them play. And I, I appreciate that about what the NFL did this year. So yeah, huge props to the NFL for not calling the holding calls, uh, because it does make the game, it does speed up the game and make it more entertaining for sure. Yeah, no doubt. But of course, what it does do is particularly, you know, hosting talk shows, it puts us in a position. It's like, okay, uh, well, this Seahawks defense is terrible. I mean, look, they're going to have more yards than any team in the history of football. Uh, and, you know, look how their pass defense is getting whipped. But then you go around because you're at these games and you're seeing it everywhere. I mean, again, there's a couple teams right now that are doing some good things on defense. Some of that's because they're playing some of the bad teams in football. But, you know, here's Tennessee, a 5-0 and team, and they're giving up like 25, 26 points a game. And, you know, they had to, you know, put 42 on the board to be able to win this game past Sunday. Uh, and so, uh, you know, against Houston. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, and I hear that about Seattle all the time. And then I go put on the film, John. And I watched them fly around and absolutely just snot clobber people. I mean, it like they are physical, they're aggressive, they play downhill. Now, you know, occasionally you're going to give up a play, and and sometimes you're protecting a lead or whatever, you know, and and you're going to let people throw it in front of you, and you're going to rally up and try to make tackles. And and you know, I, I think sometimes the stats are a bit inflated. Um, and I'm, I'm still in the process of breaking down the Seahawks. So I broke down and went to a deep dive offensively and defensively into their Minnesota game. And now I'm going to, you know, now I'm going to go into the game before that and really deep dive into those two. But, you know, the bottom line, the bottom line to me is, you know, sometimes the stats lie. Sometimes it's, you know, a, a, you're five and oh, and you're finding a way to make key stops, fourth down and one against Minnesota. Find a way to make key stops in critical situations. Isn't, isn't that what it's really about? Eliminating scoring and, and making cre- key and, and critical, um, critical stops in, in the critical moments. What you do down in the red zone, what you do on third down in long situations, how you get yourself off the field. Uh, ultimately, um, you know, I think Pete Carroll's just fine winning games and not, and not, and, you know, and maybe not putting up, you know, defense, stellar defensive numbers. But again, I will, I will keep saying I'll harp on it. Their aggressiveness, the the downhill nature, their defense, the way they hit people, um, it, maybe it doesn't show up statistically, but I tell you what, it shows up on tape. Well, I know Troy Aikman said this on Sunday's broadcast that he said that uh, you know just exactly to your point, it's like, hey, yeah, yard, it's almost you can't evaluate anything totally by the yards allowed, but it's the teams that can make the critical stops, and that's what you see from Tennessee, you see from Pittsburgh, you see from Seattle. They're able to make the critical mm-hmm. stops when necessary. Yeah, and that's that's really what it comes down to. You know, this game really comes down to efficiency in the red zone. And, you know, you look at Minnesota. Uh, you look at that game. I mean, on a fourth down, they, they score a touchdown. Seattle scores a touchdown on fourth down and six or whatever it is. 
Minnesota can't convert on fourth down and one to salt the game away, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really at, at, the, at its heart, at its core, isn't that really what separates the good teams from the bad teams? Their ability to, you know, to make critical plays in critical situations, the big time plays in critical situations. I always, I always think about third downs. I always think about red zone. What are you in the red zone? What are you in third down? One of the things I always defined, Johnny, when I was playing and when we were working together at ESPN was I don't want to know what a team's total yards are, you know, like uh, rushing yards. I want to know what a team does in third down and two. I want to know what a team does down in the red zone. You show me a team, like show me a team that converts third down and one, third down and two, second down and one, second down and two. Show me a team that runs the ball for four and a half yards to carry in the red zone. I'll show you a team that knows how to run. Show me a team that pops a 14-yard draw on third down and seven. You know, they may compile statistics. Philadelphia back in the Chip Kelly days doesn't mean they know how to run the ball. It doesn't mean they're good at running the ball. So, you know, like the stats oftentimes, they just lie. And so, you know, I just look at it differently. And like I said, when I'm watching tape of Seattle, I watch a team that flies around and absolutely just snot clobbers, you know, their opponent. Yeah. Briefly uh, sum up the Arizona Cardinals. I thought that they could be one of the most improved teams in football. Are they? Yeah, I think I think very similar to what you see in Seattle. Two safeties that can rotate, they can play in at the line of scrimmage, a uh, blitz happy team. You know, the thing that separates them, I think, from from most is they've got three legit cover corners. Uh this Byron Murphy kid, I don't even know where he's from, but he can play. UW. Uh, what's that? He's from UW. He's a husky. Is he from UW? He yeah. Pl- he, he well, he can play. Um that kid is a that kid is a player. Uh, they've got uh, Drake Kirkpatrick, who, who was, you know, a pro bowler from Cincinnati back in the day. Uh, he's playing well. Obviously, Patrick Peterson could play. So it frees them up to play. They play eight-man front, you know, single-gap type of defense. Um, with Buda Baker, they've got Thompson, who comes down as well sometimes. But they're really good, heavy blitz, heavy pressure football team. Uh, they play a lot of man and, and cover three behind it. Basically, it's all a single high safety scheme. Um, you know, every now and again, they'll play a little two man, um, you know, in the third down and long situation type things. But uh, the bottom line is they're a, they're a really aggressive football team on the defensive side of the ball. And then, you know, the, the bottom line for them offensively is Kyler Murray, even in that Monday night game, he was not very accurate. He was not on time with his throws. Um, but he can play above the X's and O's. So even when he's not playing, you know, really good at the quarterback position, the dude just makes plays. Like, he just flies around and makes plays. You're truly playing 11-on-11 football when you play against Arizona. And that makes them really tough, especially – these are the two best teams in football in the red zone, Seattle and Arizona. Arizona has not been uh, turned away in the red zone. They've scored 100% of the time. I think they have – like 20 drives, they have 16 field or 16 touchdowns and four field goals. Or Seattle is incredible, 18 drives and 16 touchdowns. But they've been turned away, I think, twice or once or twice. But the two best red zone teams in football when it comes to scoring on offense, and a lot of that on Arizona's side is because they're they're playing truly 11 on 11 football down there. Mark Silvetta, uh, looking forward to uh, hearing the broadcast on Sunday at one. So uh, it's always great to catch up with you. Stay in touch and have a safe trip to uh, Arizona. 
Will do, Johnny Man. Always good to catch up with you, buddy. Okay, sounds good. That's Mark Stinks for the rest, and he's always one of the best. Hey, uh, listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we get grades going with the report card. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for the report card with the professor. And the report card we bring out every day. We look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories. We take the anecdotes. We take social media comments. And we also take voices and attach grades to it. Curtis Rogers here every day to give us the report card. And as it pours down rain after the sun went away, let's get down with the report card. All right, John, let's do it. Uh, today's report card, let's start uh, with the Washington football team, which doesn't it doesn't really roll off the tongue so easily but it sounds like we're gonna have to stick with that for a while at least for next season as the washington football team president jason wright appeared on washington dc area radio uh yesterday and was asked about when the team might have a new nickname in place and he says there's a good chance the team will not have a nickname by the 2021 season so by next year uh, it looks like we could be going with the generic uh logo generic helmets for another whole season john uh, there have been people squatting on the copyrights, uh, squatting on the trademarks in hopes to cash in uh, for like Red Tails and, and Generals and, and all those nicknames that we've heard thrown out there. How are we grading another year yeah. of the Washington football yeah, team? I'm, I'm giving it a C- minus because first, I mean, I give an A to the standpoint that they eliminated the Redskins from the name. You know, it's just still in our minds trying to make sure that we don't make that little mental slip up after all those years of saying what that former name was when you talk to Washington. But uh, I, I look at it as that, uh, you know, it's it's a C- minus because, again, it's like it, make a bold move. Make a decision. I mean, it seems to me that they're content to have that long name, Washington football team. And, of course, uh, you know, it doesn't just jive and not make a commitment to a new name. It seems like, okay, we like the stadium. uh, We we like the colors of the uniforms the way it is. We don't want to spoil it by putting some kind of uh, order on it. I I just I don't like it. I'm giving it a C minus. Again, I mean, it's not uh, if they come up with a name that I wouldn't like, then it would be an F. But I'm giving it a C minus because to me, it's just like indecision. Yeah, I'll give it a C plus. My my worry, or not worry, but just the thing that confuses me about this is Washington knows that once they do come up with a nickname, they are going to be able to sell so much merchandise with it. Uh, they're going to be selling hats, jerseys, shirts, coats, pants, whatever. And I feel like fans right now of the team don't want to buy any sort of merchandise with the current logo with the generic Washington football team name on it because they know it's only going to be around for maybe a year or two if you come up with a name quicker you're going to be able to sell merchandise more often you're going to be able to to just make the money that you were making under the old team nickname it's bizarre decision making in the Washington football franchise uh over the last you know uh, with this whole team nickname thing, the, the quicker you get a nickname, the more merchandise you can sell. Kind of confusing to me. Yeah, but I agree. Any any team name better than what they had. Uh, also, John, on the report card, the rival team of Washington, that'd be the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Gene Slater of the NFL Network reporting that there is uh, some serious discontent in that locker room. Uh, players not really buying what the coaches are selling. Mike McCarthy at his press conference yesterday was asked about uh, the rumors going around that there is, you know, there's some bad apples in that locker room. Here's what McCarthy had to say. I've always stated this uh, to every team that that I've that I've uh, coached. Uh, I think it's important to handle things as men. 
I mean, if you do have something to say publicly that, that is of, you know, of most importance, I think it's important to say it to the individual, uh, particularly in, in, a, in, a, in a group dynamic setting, and especially in the game of football, especially for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, that's all part of the development of our program, of our, the system that we're installing here. John, Mike McCarthy, probably the most sought-after free agent coach this offseason, or or one of the most sought-after free agent coaches, but do you think he may be in a little over his head with just the circus that is Dallas Cowboys football? It certainly looks that way. I mean, you know, and again, I know him so well because he's a Pittsburgh guy, and you know, I've been so close to him for so many years, so I know him as well as just about any coach in the league, and you know, he's never wanted to be on the big stage, right? I mean, you know, it's like he's he was content to be, you know, a quiet uh, offensive coordinator with the Saints. Go to Green Bay, which of course uh, you're in the smallest uh, area in the NFL, and you know he's he's not a big brash guy. Uh, even though again he's had such great success with the Green Bay Packers, and so uh, now he goes to Dallas, and now he gets uh, you know what's now America's team coming back at him, and of course the players in the locker room. And it looks like he's losing the locker room. But if you're Jerry Jones, what do you do? I mean. The numbers I have on him, he signed a five-year deal at $47.5 million. Do you fire him and then have to pay him the remaining uh, money after this year for the $47.5 million? I mean, financially, that's a disaster. It's not like he gets the money now, doesn't move up. I mean, he has to pay it over time. But it's like, uh, you know, and what do you do then to try to replace him? But it's a bad situation. I think he made a bad mistake in hiring Mike Nolan as the defensive coordinator because Mike's made it way too confusing. And uh, that's not good. And so uh, it's a mess. And right now I'm giving the whole organization and everything an F. Yeah, I'm giving the Cowboys, uh, I'll give them a D-. minus. I don't know if it's a complete F yet, but it's getting there. It's getting real close. Uh, Mike McCarthy's got to get a hold of things real quick, or else it's going to be a disastrous season for the Cowboys. And yet, through all of this, they are still in first place in the NFC East. They're the only team with two wins. Uh, just a dreadful, dreadful <laughs> division that they Oof. play in. Uh, and the fact that they just, for whatever reason, might back themselves into the playoffs uh, not necessarily a rewarding trip to the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, D-minus for the Cowboys. Also on the report card, John, today, Aaron Donald of the L.A. Rams uh, maybe taking some shots at another well-known commodity in the NFC West, that'd be 49ers receiver Debo Samuel. Aaron Donald apparently just unfamiliar with who Debo Samuel is just entirely. Well, it was a little bit of a spat after your, your game last week. You mentioned, um, you know, you said that you didn't really know who Debo Samuel was. And, and then he took to Instagram and, and touted that he's 3-0 and against the Rams in his career. Do you have a response to that? Uh, no, man. I don't I don't know him by his name. I just know his number. I saw I wasn't trying to be, you know, so they asked me about somebody's name. I didn't know. I said 19. I, I know him by his number. So, you know, it is what it is. You know, they got to see us again. So we'll keep the same energy from there. So. Aaron Donald not giving Debo Samuel the respect, even though the 49ers have won their last three over the Rams. How are we grading Aaron Donald there, John? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give him a, a B minus. I mean, you know, again, it's not like he has to study the names of the players. He just has to basically blow up the guard center and just get in there and try to tackle. But, you know, Debo's a problem for anybody trying to penetrate from defensive tackle because he's so good on those jet sweeps, as good as just about anybody that we've seen in this league. I mean, that's one of his specialties. And that's why. He He's elevated himself. You saw it last year when uh, they played the two games against uh, Seattle. But uh, I have to give I give him a B minus. 
Yeah, I'll I'll tell Debo Samuel this. You've got a ways to go before you're on the level of Aaron Donald. You've got uh, quite a lot of accomplishments you got to hit before you are on the same level as Aaron Donald. Uh, so I think he's free to forget and remember whoever it is that he wants uh, that he plays against. But yeah, remember they're one and three at home. I'm sure Aaron Donald might want to remind them. Of yeah, that. I think I think he would gladly remind them of that. And then finally, John on the report card today. Uh, Odell Beckham, who loves to be in the spotlight, loves to be in the news. Remember during the national championship game uh, between LSU and Clemson afterwards, Odell Beckham handing out $100 bills to the players uh, on LSU's team after they blew out Clemson. Do you remember that, Jim? Yeah, I do. Well, today, Odell Beckham was uh, banned from using LSU's facilities for two years. That includes uh, visiting games at Tiger Stadium, uh, just working out in their weight room, using their practice fields. Uh, because of his handing out of $100 bills to players after the 2020 National Championship game. Obviously, uh, you cannot pay college athletes like that, uh, according to NCAA rules. So how are we grading Odell Beckham getting banned from his alma mater for two years? Well, I, I give uh, LSU the uh, you know, a, a B for doing the right thing because you just can't do that. And he gets a D- minus for doing something absolutely stupid, which is not the first time he's done something absolutely stupid. I mean, you can't pay off players. I mean, that's just a simple thing. And to be so overt about that where everybody knows it, that's not good. Yeah, Odell knows the rules. Whether you agree that they're archaic or not, the rules are in place. Mm -hmm. You just can't do it, and this is the fairest punishment, I think, for it. So that is it for today's report card, John. Okay, and of course, you can check out the professor's notes at 710sports.com. Professor notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we go on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line, taking your text questions. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. It is time to go to Busy Hard Seltzer text line and take your text questions. Of course, that Busy Hard Seltzer text line is 710-710. So, Curtis, what do we have? John, this one from the 253. They want to know uh, if Sam Darnold does get moved by the Jets, which teams would have the most interest in him? Yeah, I know that Bill Barnwell thought maybe Indianapolis, but I think that could be a tough fit. Uh, and I still question whether any would be able to do anything uh, by that. But I don't know, would the Washington football team be a consideration? Because I think that they want to get away from Dwayne Haskins. Uh, you know, that could be that could be one. I mean, it won't be the San Francisco 49ers. I think we're pretty solid on that. Uh, and you know, at the moment, I mean, to me, maybe if you're the Chicago Bears, maybe you look at it. Possibly the Jacksonville Jaguars, even though, again, you have Garner Minshew. Sorry, Jim Moore, but uh, you know, the head coach yesterday is not opposed necessarily to benching Garner Minshew. So, you know, something has to happen. Adam, uh, Adam Schefter and I both kind of agree that the price would be a second-round pick, and so it's a consideration. This one from the 801, they want to know, since Seattle signed Michael Kendricks, do you think that decreases the likelihood of a trade before the deadline? No, I think that, uh, I mean, the one thing you wonder about uh, is the idea with Kendricks, kind of like it was with Clay Matthews, that uh, you know if he can show enough speed rushing the passer, that maybe you get him into some Leo spots because you know they're pretty well set up 
at the outside linebacker, uh, even though, again, Bruce, out, Bruce Irvin's out for the season. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, everybody wanted uh, Clay Matthews, and I think rightfully so, but his price was too high. And clearly, Michael Kendricks is doing this team a favor by coming in and playing at least at practice squad numbers until they put him on the roster. So, uh, you know, again, it's one that uh, you're just kind of stocking up because, again, with the six-day protocol on getting anybody signed, I mean, you've got to make sure that uh, you know, you're, you're talented enough so you don't come short because you get another injury or two at outside linebacker, then you are going to be short. From the 509, they want to know, John, have you ever seen a division in the NFL as worse as the 2020 NFC East? Well, you know, I mean, yeah, we've seen not, not as bad. I mean, this is the absolute worst. What, they're 2-15-1 and one in non-division games. And, you know, there are some projections out there that you might be able to win the division with four or five wins. You know, I'm kind of thinking right now it's going to be six wins. But, no, this is the worst. I mean, the, the, the worst that I saw was last year's NFC East, same division, because they only won, like, about 30% of their games. Now you go back to, what, 2000, and was it 2007, 2008, where you had the uh, NFC West, you know, winning, like, 33% of the games. Those were two of the worst, but this one is absolutely deplorable. Worst I've ever seen and worst there's ever been. Another one from the 253. They want to know, is Indianapolis' Quentin Nelson the best offensive lineman in the NFL? And if not, who is? Mm, yeah, I mean, even though he's a guard, I'd have to say right now he's the best because he's just so dominating. And he came from his very first game, he just absolutely dominated. And he's that good. I mean, you know, because uh, you look at the tackles and now the tackles, some of them are getting you know a little bit older and all that stuff. But no, I'd say that he's the best uh, offensive lineman in football. From the 425, they want to know, John, do you like the NFL's tie rule, and do you think it'll ever change? I hope it changes. I don't like it. I mean, because I don't like ties. And so I think the mistake, I mean, one of the things they were kind of playing around with uh, was, you know, trying to, you know, go with the, uh, you know, take away the touchdown part of it and have to have to, you know, win it outright. But then what happens with you have the 10 minutes that you have and they need to put it back to 15 minutes. You know, I still like the sudden death idea of it or, you know, because, again, I don't think you necessarily need the two uh, two possessions if you don't have a touchdown drive. But people go crazy on that because it's like, oh, so uh, you get the kickoff, you win the coin toss and then you get a touchdown drive. Well, stop the touchdown drive. So I don't like this current model. I like it the old way. Interesting question here from the 253. They say, John, out of all 710 hosts, who would you choose to share an eight-hour road trip with? Hmm. Well, I mean, Graz is always going to be fun. Oh, Graz would be a tremendous road trip. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, then then you go with probably Wyman because, you know, see how grumpy he can get at different times (laughs) and all that stuff. Graz would have enough stories to last the eight hours. You wouldn't even need to get a word in. You could just... Cue him up on something. He'd go for a couple hours. It'd be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, John, they want to know, uh, 360, which of these face of the franchise players do you think has the greatest chance of changing teams, J.J. Watt or Julio Jones? Uh, I'd say neither. I mean, J.J. Watt is the face of the franchise, and they're not going to trade him, and the Bengals don't necessarily like to make trades. And so I, I don't think that either one's going to get traded. I guess of the two, it would be, uh, you know, Holy, I mean, it would be uh, A.J. Green, but I'd say neither are going to get traded. 253 wants to know, John, when Rashad Penny comes back, who is the odd man out in the running back group? Could be uh, D.J. Dallas, because right now uh, there, there, there's more going on 
uh, with everybody else. I mean, Carlos Hyde is going to be you know, at least a backup until Rashad's ready to go. And so uh, I'd say right now it would be DJ Dallas. This one from the 425. They want to know, John, if Earl Thomas wins his grievance, what does that mean for his uh, free agency? Uh, nothing. I mean, that's going to be all, all it is is a monetary thing. You know, he wants the 10 million. Uh, it has nothing because it has nothing to do with what he can do as far as anybody else. Because what happens now is that if he signs with another team, you know, whatever he signs for, you get a little bit of release from that 10 million. Right now, it counts 4 million under the cap. This one, John, comes to us from the 253. They want to know, what is your favorite NFL city to visit on a road trip? Hmm. Now, again, understand, it's like I don't really get into the city much because I usually fly in on Saturday, particularly after the show, and it's, I always usually stay at the airport, and so it's not like I get a taste of the city, but uh, you know, certainly... Uh, you know, Denver's a good trip. Pittsburgh's a great trip because I grew up there and uh, lived there for so long. Uh, certainly, I, I like Baltimore. I mean, although I don't, and again, understand that I don't get into town. It's not like I can go in there and go to a great place of dinner and have something like that. And particularly now you can't do it, but uh, that. And so, uh, you know, those are three of my favorites. This one from the 360, they want to know how good long-term do you think Tua Tagovailoa will be? I think he's going to be really good. I mean, that's the one thing that's so interesting is that uh, certainly I think he's getting a chance to start a little bit earlier than expected. But when you look at these three quarterbacks drafted, they all look very good. Joe Burrow, despite having no offensive line, looks great. I think you see a lot of great things in Justin Herbert. And you know, Tua is considered to be the best of the group. And if that's going to be the case, he'll be good too. John, that is going to do it for today's text question. Of course, I was on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line. Coming up next, we're going to get our Daily Dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. It is time for our Daily Dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby. And Dave, uh, before we get into things, I hope you got your walk-in today already. Because you know earlier it was dark and looking ominous. Then all of a sudden the sun came out looking pretty good. And now it's just dark and raining hard. Yeah, it's, uh, we're getting the same thing downtown, John. So you were, were, it, was, it was either a thunderstorm or construction earlier. It was nighttime during daytime and it's barely... 12 noon for crying out loud i know i mean i I know that uh just when the show started and you know uh, right before that hey things look really good and then man it just look it just totally covered up it's almost like you put a a carpet on top of uh everything well it's october yeah that's true no doubt about it and of course it is october which is the time for baseball and is now everything right in the world that uh clayton kershaw finally has a good game in a world series and in the playoffs six innings two hits eight strikeouts and gets the win he was dominant last night the bigger story was kevin cash's curious decision with his starter i mean the the glass has been his best pitcher but you know, a young guy like that, have him throw 112 pitches, which is something he's never done, do that for the first time in the World Series, uh, strikes me as a strange decision. But that takes nothing away from the fact that Kershaw came through. We talked about it yesterday, that, that there may not have been as much pressure on him as years gone by because he's not necessarily the best player on that team. In fact, we saw the best player on that team have the best game of anyone last night. That was Mookie Betts, who was terrific on the base pass and terrific at the plate and and the Dodgers had everything go their way. The good news for the Rays is it's just one game. But, um, yeah, it was nice to see Kershaw have a nice effort for sure. Yeah, it really was. And I don't know. I mean, you probably have researched this much more than I have. But uh, 
you know, I know that they had financial reasons for moving Mookie Betts, but no, well, John, I, 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 I know where you're going, and I don't think it. I mean, the Red Sox, you know, were were making changes. Obviously, they wanted to get rid of a contract of David Price's, but uh, you know, they had uh, multiple opportunities to sign Betts and, and elected not to do it. To me, he's one of the few guys. Well, one of two guys. Mike Trout is probably the other. Who is deserving of the contract that he got because of the the five tool aspect of how he plays, plus a tremendously positive guy to be around and all of that. I think it's a terrible mistake the Red Sox made in judgment. They're not a team that's that's governed by payroll, so it wasn't that they couldn't have afforded him. Uh, they made a conscious decision to go in a different direction, and only time will tell if this is as bad a mistake as the last time we let a player like this get away by the name of Ruth which it took him 80 years to recover from. But, uh, you know, I'm uh, look, I'm not saying Mookie Betts is Babe Ruth, but he's, he's clearly, if not the best player in the game, the second-best player in the game. He's 28 years old in his prime, and the Red Sox had him and, and, and traded him. And, it, you know, we'll see what those guys get for him, but um, they're not going to get what, what, what Mookie Betts brings. And he's the biggest difference, obviously, between the Dodgers that have failed in the postseason six – or, excuse me, eight years in a row, and perhaps this year's team that ends that streak. So – I, I don't. I, I among those who don't think that it made sense for the Red Sox to do it when they did it, as much as I think sometimes tying up guys in long-term, huge guaranteed contract is a mistake. With a guy like this, it wasn't a mistake, and the Dodgers are even the benefits. No doubt, I and mean, that's the thing that, that baffles me. And I don't know because I think we both agree how baseball has changed. Where it used to be the national pastime, now it's a more of a regional. Uh, sport mm-hmm. in the standpoint that uh, you, you don't have that national loyalty. But would you agree that the the three teams at top, whatever order you want to have, as far as you know, whether you like them or don't like them, I mean, the three teams that you know kind of have the buzz to them have been the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Red Sox. And now, well, first, would you agree that those were the three? Sure. And so then you look at it as like, here's the Red Sox. They make these moves, and now they have one of the worst seasons in baseball this year. Well, one of the things they've done, and we'll see if they do it, is they, they, you know, they got a good prospect or two out of the deal, and, and, uh, they've had bad seasons and bounced immediately back. They're not a team that necessarily, you know, builds, builds slowly. So we'll see what they do in terms of coming, coming back from it. But it's got to be frustrating in particular for Red, Red Sox fans have got some faith now. I mean, this is not the old organization that, that, that constantly fell all over itself and, and couldn't get things done. They've won a bunch of pennants and they've won a bunch of championships. So. Uh, under this ownership group, so I think there's a degree of faith, even though this move seems like such such a such a highly questionable move at the time, for sure. Well, I hope now, uh, seeing the disaster of this trade and the trades that they've made and how they brought the team down, that they don't overthink things. I think that they made a great move in pulling Billy Bean. He's heading away from the A's to go over to the Red Sox uh, ownership. But if you put him in soccer, you're crazy. You need him on the baseball team. Well, I, I get the feeling, you know, and I don't know anything about this, but just speculating like you, John, that that they that that, that this has been a, jeez, uh, almost a twenty-year quest uh, that it's finally been realized, and they want to make it. They want to make it uh, soccer at the beginning. Fine, just hey, by the way, can we ask you a baseball question or two? I think just having the guy in the building, yeah. 
is something that makes sense for that organization. Yeah, no doubt about it. Okay, and on the on the football front, it's kind of interesting because, you know, naturally everybody was clamoring for Jadevian Clowney to come back, and, you know, he's mm-hmm. pretty much playing in Tennessee kind of like he did here in Seattle. He doesn't get the sacks, but he's still a disruptive force. And, you know, like, for example, uh, I mean, what, I think the Titans, I mean, what the Seahawks have like nine sacks, and I think maybe Tennessee has about eight. So it's like it's welcome to the club. But what's interesting is that they're and of course, undefeated. Yeah, and they're undefeated. And then you look at it, and it's where everybody's clamoring for, oh, go get Clay Matthews, which is a, a very good thought. Go get Terrell Suggs. Go get this guy. Go get this guy. But John Snyder's made three interesting moves now because today they finalized getting Michael Kendricks back on the practice squad. They have Damon Snacks Harrison on the practice squad. And, you know, Demarius... Uh, 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 Randall on the practice squad, who's a former first-round pick and could be a free safety, strong safety. I mean, those are pretty good bench moves to make because you end up having three starters on your practice squad. Exactly, and and you know, I mean, this is uh, we'll see if things change, John, and and you tell me if you think they're going to. But if they keep calling the games the way they're calling them, with very few holding calls, with really letting the offenses get away with anything, everything, and anything, but I, I think that the gnashing of, of, of teeth and the worries about the Seahawks defense and where they rank are, is going to be overrated. I mean, it, 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 it's, we'll see if it catches up to them or not. But right now, you've got a, you've got a, the way the games are being officiated favors the offenses so dramatically that, um, you know, having a great offense is, is going to be enough. So I think having that depth on defense is good. But uh, I find if, if they're going to keep calling games the way they are, and you tell me if you think they are, uh, I don't think that, that being particularly strong on the defensive side of the ball is as important this year as it's been in years past because they're giving such advantage to the offenses by not calling holding calls, for example. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt about it. And in fact, uh, uh, I talked, uh, Troy Aikman on the broadcast Sunday said that, uh, and I've been thinking this and he kind of clarified it. He says, hey, you know, right now yards aren't as important key stops are and if you can make the key stops and this team makes the key stops tennessee makes the key stops pittsburgh makes the key stops i mean you're fine and so baltimore makes the key stops and so that's kind of the way it is and so the yards aren't as the determining factor of how good the defense is certainly it shows that there's problems but that's the way the game is and i i came across you know because every you know you know know how many how bad i am for you know taking going on my database and stuff like that and so uh you know every week what I do is that I'll go and go by the play-by-plays and then count up the holding calls, okay? And so when I started, you know, I would take the whole holding calls. I mean, I just go through and do it real fast. But then what I do now is that I break it off, eliminating the holding calls on offense, on punt and kickoff returns. So could you believe, as uh, there's only been like an average, like a 23 calls a week as far as holding. This past week, there was 21 holding calls and 17 of them were accepted. I mean, you talk about that's one per game, roughly, and so you don't have those things yeah, the, the that destroy drives. Unbelievable compared to what it used to be. It's just it's uh, it's the biggest change. You know, I was thinking that that you know for the defenses, you know, not having the the home crowds is a big factor, and I think that is a factor, but it's not as big as that factor. It's not as big as the fact that they're letting offensive linemen uh, get away with holding a lot more, and there are other 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 penalties that aren't being called as well to kind of keep with the pace of play. And I, I find myself agreeing completely with Troy Aikman that yeah. if you've got a defense that's capable of making stops, you know, then, then Ben don't break is, is going to be the way to go. And that's exactly what the Seahawks look like they have this year. Now it's only five games in, so we'll have to see if it plays out that way. But, boy, what a, what a great year to have loaded up on offense and uh, to have the kind of attack the Seahawks have because 
that feels like it's going to serve them very well for the rest of the year. No doubt about it. And that's our Daily Dose of the Garage with Dave Grosby. And we closed with some good news, Dave. I'm starting to look outside right now, and the clouds <laughs> are starting to go away. I mean, not, there's no sunshine yet, but I can see there's some openings in the clouds. You may be able to get that walk in without having to get too wet. John, it sounds good, and we'll talk again tomorrow, buddy. All right, sounds good. And we'll be back tomorrow at 10, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.